0: Hey everyone, just wanted to say thanks for the patience. We have been dealing with some production issues behind the scenes and it's led to some delays. We've been able to somehow keep on top of it the last couple weeks, but this week it finally caught up to us, especially because it's such a long episode this week. So thanks for the patience. And also I hope you enjoy the longer episode and we will try and see you this Sunday. Signals removing SMS support. Android is leaking some VPN traffic. Proton is adding UTF hardware key support. Firefox Relay is actually kind of becoming useful, and a lot more. This was a huge week, so get ready. Welcome to Surveillance Reports 107, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the last week. I am Henry from Techlor. Just rolled out of bed. I actually have Bedhead for once. Normally, it's like running head, because I record after runs, but today it's Bedhead. <laughs> I am Nathan for the new oil, and I
1: also just woke up.
0: Bad head day. yay! Yay, bad hair day. Let's go. So promo segment this week same stuff still Get get on patreon if you want to support us every month. There's some cool perks there for you That is our most recommended way um, to support our work just because it's easier for us to track how much we can expect each month And then there's also uh, Monero, which is a good way if you want to privately support us There's no perks unfortunately, but we do see all your transactions and we're very grateful for them So thank you everyone who supports us through Monero we're gonna start with our highlight story and the way we're gonna break this down is I'm gonna go through just the info Nate has some thoughts and then I probably have thoughts to those so that's how we're gonna do things so um signal on Android some context here especially for iOS users who have never used signal on Android if you download signal on Android right now you can make it your default messenger so that if you can message all of your contacts just from the Signal app, even if they don't use Signal. There's no inherent security perk to this, it's just generic SMS, but at least you can have like a contact A, you're just communicating with SMS and contact B is a completely Signal contact. If, If you have a Signal contact, you can actually hold on the send button and switch between SMS and Signal messages on Android. So essentially, on Android, the only messenger you ever need is Signal. But this week, Signal is dropping this feature. Well, they announced they're going to drop this feature. So they're no longer going to accept incoming or outgoing SMS messages on Android, so you can't set Signal as your default messenger for this two-in-one experience. Users will have to export their SMS messages and re-import them into the SMS messenger of their choice to keep their messages, which most phones have a default messenger. Signal hasn't said when this takes effect, but has promised notification warnings to make sure users know ahead of time. They cite three reasons for the change in this blog post. One, SMS is not good for privacy or security and it's not a great protocol anymore. Maybe never was. Uh, Two, users keep sending SMS thinking that it's signal and they're getting hit with messaging charges. And three, they claim UX and UI design issues. But uh, yeah, so this is where Nate has some, some opinions. So I'll let Nate go off and then I'll have some probably things to say too.
1: Okay, um, so my my opinions, I think this is a disaster. I think this is a terrible move. Um, I accept that SMS is terrible. I'm not arguing that for a second. I'm not saying SMS is good. Um, I even accept the whole, like, accidental messenger charges. You know, we found out, or I found out recently, thanks to surveillance report and our our listeners, that uh, in a lot of parts of the world, SMS is not free. Like, here in, in the U.S. and Canada and probably parts of Europe, like... SMS is, it's been free for a long time. At this point, pretty much the only thing you pay for on a cell plan is data. My argument is, why don't you fix the UI? Like if if people keep getting confused, make your UI better. Maybe this is like an anecdotal logical fallacy, but like I personally know a lot of people on iOS who don't use Signal or like they downloaded it for like a week and then deleted it because they don't like managing two messengers. And I know, again, I know in other parts of the world, it's like, well, we already have 10 messengers. We have Line and WhatsApp and Telegram and this and that and the other, we're totally used to it. Again, not all parts of the world are like that. And you know, I I try to be sensitive to the fact that the US is not the whole world and the world does not revolve around the US like America seems to think we do. I try to respect that fact, but it kind of goes both ways too. Like, yes, I accept that in other parts of the world, having 10 messengers is the norm and you guys are totally used to it. And I think what's gonna end up happening, in my personal opinion, is in like, that's been a major selling point for me to get people on Signal, especially if they have an Android, is like, hey, you can set it as your default messenger and you'll get both Signal and SMS. It'll automatically upgrade the message. So I think what's gonna end up happening here is because a lot of people are like, well, this is gonna push people off SMS. No, it's not. I think what's going to happen is most people are just going to end up deleting Signal because they don't want to manage two messengers. The new president of Signal straight up said in another article that Signal has no plans of dropping the phone number requirement. Like, yes, they're planning to roll out usernames, allegedly, someday before Jesus comes back. They've straight up said, like, Signal is still going to require a phone number in order to fight spam. So you'll be able to use usernames instead of giving people your phone number, which is great, but there's no dropping the phone number requirement, just to clarify that. I I keep hearing people say that, and that's not going to happen. And then the last thing I wanted to say is, like I said, I've seen a lot of people like, well, I'm going to delete Signal. For the record, as pissed off as I am about this, I don't think this is a good reason to abandon Signal. It's still, like, the best secure messenger out there. There's almost no metadata. We've seen that repeatedly proven in court. We've seen that proven in, like, Vault 7 CIA leaks. But... Uh, I do feel like this is really trending into like Mozilla territory where they just don't listen to their users. They already deleted SMS import. Now they're getting rid of SMS entirely. They still haven't rolled out usernames despite literal years of waiting for that. Plus there was the whole mobile coin incident. Like, yeah, they're, I I feel like they're definitely not listening to their users and, and I don't like this move at all. I think it's going to push people further away from signal and make signal adoption even harder on Android.
0: What's your counterpoint? (laughs) <laughs> well, no, I think I think you definitely bring up a lot of good points. The UI UX thing, I think, is overall an interesting point for them to make because that is user error on their... Not user error, but that's like a development error on their end. Yeah. Right? Like, if it's confusing for people... Then you should have done um, a better job designing it. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, iMessage, for example, I I disagree with the iMessage implementation, which is done almost as a way to incentivize iMessages over SMS. I've heard that some people treat it as like a clout thing, like if you have the blue bubbles, like you suck. You're not in the front circle. And that's intentional design on Apple's part. So I don't think that's why I don't agree with that. But it's very obvious when you're using (laughs) the Messages app on an iPhone if it's SMS or not SMS. And uh, it's not hard to be able to recreate that. I also like how it's a selling point to keep messages in the same place. So that that is always for me also been a good selling point. I've like you can just keep definitely been able to like get people more interested in Signal because of that before. Like hey, do you use Android and they're like, yeah, like check
1: it out. You can make them a 2 in 1. You don't have to have an extra app on your phone. It's exactly the same. It just has more functionality.
0: Yeah, 100%. And the other thing too is that there actually are These aren't discussed as much, but there actually are a couple perks to using even SMS on Signal. Um, The first one is Signal, the way that Signal handles messages at rest is still better than most default SMS applications, um, which is a bummer that like now I guess you probably won't get that perk anymore. And the other thing, too, is the actual features built into Signal. Some of them carry over into SMS. So, for example, Giphy search on Signal is like everything's proxied and like all your Giphy searches and all that stuff is done very privately and if you're using a default, another default messenger for SMS, like yes, the, the threat model for SMS doesn't really call for this kind of stuff, but it's still cool to know that all the features around the messages are still done in a more private and secure way. And things like disappearing messages, while it doesn't, it's not gonna delete on the other person's end, you can still enable disappearing messages on Signal for SMS. So there's little things like that that I think actually are nice. Um, it's going to be really sucky to lose those. So, like, those are all, like, the the things that I'm also upset about for, for them removing this. Um, before I go into, like, why I think it could be a good decision, uh, I did want to clarify the username thing because um, that's a very, like, misunderstood thing for people. I don't think Signal's ever going to remove the phone number requirement. That's, like, the whole point of Signal is to replace things like SMS. It's, that's the point of Signal. In order to do that, in this day and age, everything is phone number based. That's the way people communicate. If you meet some new person on the street, you're either asking them for a social media handle or you're asking them for a phone number. You don't ask for their email. And you don't ask them for their session ID. So like everything right now is based on the phone number and I think Signal's gonna stay that way, for better or for worse. And even with username support, they're probably, you're still probably going to be able to add people with a phone number if you have their phone number, just like most other platforms that do this kind of thing. There might be a way for you to disable that, but I'm sure they're gonna want people to keep that enabled. And on that note, I actually think that usernames, if this is gonna be like Telegram where you sign up with a phone number and then use usernames, I think that solves a majority of the problems with the phone number requirement. Cause that's my biggest issue with it. I don't know about you, Nate, but I just don't wanna give my phone number to people just to add me on signal. That's why, like, on my personal site, you, it says email me for my signal number because I'm not just going to publish my signal number for the world to see. Like, that's my biggest problem with the phone number requirement.
1: Yeah, especially in parts of the world where your your phone number is tied to your ID and you can't get a VoIP number.
0: Yeah,
1: it's a huge exactly. drawback.
0: Yeah, so, like, it, <coughs> I still wish there was no phone number requirement, but at the same time, this resolves the main thing. And they did give a date. They said no later than late 2023 for that. So... We're gonna hold that. I'll believe we're, that we're gonna I see it. I know. Uh, we're... <laughs> well, that's the first time we've ever actually gotten a date. So I actually wanna be optimistic because a lot of it is coming soon. Someday we'll have usernames. Uh, we're moving in that direction, but like the, we actually have a formal date, late 2023. So we'll see what happens there. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Now to actually address why I think this could be good. Um, uh, one thing that was really interesting is I tweeted something kind of as a joke. Uh, people who use Signal on Android, there's something called an insight score that pretty much tells you how many of your messages are sent uh, through signal end-to-end encryption so like if 90% of your messages on signal are sent with signal users then you're gonna have an insight score of 90% and I tweeted something and I was like this the whole p- purpose of this is to get people like myself on hundred percent on Android <laughs> just so I could have a perfect score and uh, this actually led to me opening up the blog article about insights and I actually encourage people to do this go type in signal messenger insight score and look at their blog post on this there's an ios section that says signal protocol automatically protected 100 of your messages all communication on signal is private desktop signal protocol automatically protected 100 of your messages all communication on signal desktop is private then there's the android section and it's like this whole nuanced answer of like there's a percentage of like what's sms and mms and note signals are moving like it's all messy. And so I actually see value from like from a them perspective of being able to just say, like on all of our platforms, if you use our platform, there is no question that you are using end-to-end encryption and that you are private and secure. They can't do that right now. And I think this blog article really speaks to that because on Android, it's like, here's this nuanced answer and you have to know how to use the Android app properly to just have basic security. So that's my first, like I, I kind of get that from their perspective. And the other thing too, like, I really wanna see This might be the only thing they're not sharing with us right now in their blog post, it's RCS. So RCS is the new new thing Google's trying to roll out in a lot of cell carriers, and Google hasn't actually rolled out an API yet for developers to implement RCS into their apps. And so it's possible that Signal has dropped SMS and eventually they're going to add RCS, but they just don't have any API to work with to integrate it yet. And RCS, by the way, is supposed to have support for end-to-end encryption, and so um, I could see Signal adding RCS in the future, but I don't why they wouldn't share that now is beyond me, and I don't know if there's something that I'm not aware of, but that's just something that I was going to throw out there. This was written on the wall for a while with a lot of decisions they were making the last year regarding how they were handling SMS, especially the removal of import backup
1: Yeah, uh, like looking back on yeah. it, I see that. It's like, oh, this was building up to this, but at the time, obviously, I had no idea, but looking back on it, it's like, oh, cool.
0: Yeah, that's why I think, like, the RCS stuff could be interesting, too, especially when you see things like Signal being demoed in Google keynotes. (laughs) I'm like, is Google really demoing a different messenger on, in, like, their own keynote when Google already has, like, five of their own? Um, So I just think things like that are interesting. And RCS is actually, RCS utilizes Signal's encryption for people who don't know that and haven't read the Google white paper on how their rcs end-to-end encryption works so google messages if you use it actually use uses signals encryption so my guess is there's some kind of communication that we don't know about and they're hoping to roll rcs into signal but that's just my theory <laughs> all right anything else no no i think no let every, people definitely leave their comments because i think this is going to be a, a hot one
1: Oh boy. I already know everyone's going to tell me I'm wrong and SMS is terrible and literally anything is an improvement over SMS. So whatever.
0: I don't know. I I feel like our audience is going to be more like, well, screw signal just altogether for even requiring a phone. number. You guys weren't hard
1: enough on signal.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like the hate work, it it depends where the hate comes from, because if it's on YouTube, I think that audience tends to be more like, I can't believe you're even acknowledging signal as a messenger altogether because it requires a phone number. But then if you go on matrix, it's going to be like, I can't believe that you would question them for trying to remove any insecure protocol. I got that on Twitter a lot. Interesting. Yeah. Twitter was like, Twitter was like
1: SMS is terrible. Like how, you know, those people that are always like email purists, like everyone should just stop using email. Like that's even a remotely feasible suggestion right now. And they're just like, SMS (laughs) is terrible. Like anything to make SMS less popular. And it's like, but that's my thing is again, not to sound like a broken record. That's not what's going to happen. People are just going to delete signal and go back to using SMS. With that whole bag of badgers out of the way, uh, we're going to move into data breaches. We're going to start off with Celsius, a Bitcoin or cryptocurrency exchange whose data dump is a gift to crypto sleuths and thieves. I'm going to condense, quote the article. Last week, Celsius, a cryptocurrency exchange facing bankruptcy, leaked an enormous collection of its users' transaction data through an unusual sort of privacy breach, a court filing. As part of its bankruptcy proceedings, the company's attorneys released a document that appears to include the transaction date of half a million of its users from April of this year until it ceased trading in June. That database was briefly posted as a 14,500 page PDF to the court records website Pacer before being taken down, but not before Gizmodo copied it to the internet archive where it was widely downloaded before being removed there too. The data dump includes the names and transaction details of Celsius users along with the dates and amounts of each payment. The database doesn't include the cryptocurrency addresses that directly identify senders and recipients on cryptocurrencies blockchains, but the unique payment amounts detailed down to more than a dozen decimal places of precision in many cases nonetheless make it possible to match the payments to blockchain's records. All of that means the Celsius leak offers a rare gift to both professional and amateur cryptocurrency tracers, allowing them to not only see Celsius users' transactions, but also identify and trace those funds across blockchains. That could potentially open a new possib- possibilities to identify scammers, hijackers, and any other illicit users who might've exploited Celsius as a cash-out service for ill-gotten coins, but it also opens Celsius users to exploitation by any ripoff artist or thief who comes through the data, connects it to other accounts, and identifies the cryptocurrency holdings as a ripe target. As with a lot of data breaches, we're gonna see the same you know, phishing attempts and stuff like that. Um, And just on a cryptocurrency specific note, this is why we don't encourage exchanges. Unfortunately, if you're trying to cash out, you don't really have a whole lot of other options. But if you're just holding on to it or trading it, we are definitely big fans of like offline wallets or things where you actually hold the coins. I didn't include it in the notes here, but there was a paragraph about how one of the reasons this went to court is because Celsius is accused of like basically ripping people off by trading money they didn't actually own which is, you know, yeah, we're starting to see that a lot in the cryptocurrency space. So use offline wallets and be careful. The blockchain is not always, usually is not uh, hidden. People can trace it, they can follow it, so yeah.
0: Intel has confirmed that a source code leak for the UEFI BIOS of Alder Lake CPUs, which is their 12th generation Intel Core processor, is authentic, raising cybersecurity concerns with researchers. The leak contains almost six gigabytes of files, source code, private keys, change logs, and compilation tools with the latest timestamp on the files being September 30th, 2022, likely when a hacker or insider copied the data. The leaked source code also contains numerous references to Lenovo, including code for integrations with Lenovo String Service, Lenovo Secure Suite, and Lenovo Cloud Service. Oh, I do not miss uh, getting a new PC with all the pre-installed crap. And uh, at this time, it is unclear whether the source code was stolen during a cyber attack or leaked by an insider. Toyota discloses a data leak after access key exposed on GitHub. We got a lot of different than usual
1: data breaches this week. Toyota Motor Corporation is warning that customers' personal information may have been exposed after an access key was publicly available on GitHub for almost five years. Toyota T-Connect is the automaker's official connectivity app that allows owners of Toyota cars to link their smartphone with the vehicle's infotainment system for phone calls, music, navigation, notifications, integration, driving data, engine status, fuel consumption, and more. Toyota discovered recently that a portion of the T-Connect site source code was mistakenly published on GitHub and contained an access key to the data server that stored customer email addresses and management numbers. This made it possible for an unauthorized third party to access the details of 296,019 customers between December 2017 and September 15, 2022, when access to the repository was restricted. Customer names, credit card data, and phone numbers were not stored in that database and therefore were not exposed. At
0: this time, there's no evidence the data was accessed, but as always, it's safer just to assume that it was. Fast Company says executive board member info was not stolen in attack. American business magazine Fast Company reached out to its executive board members this week to let them know their personal information was not stolen from the cyber attack on September 27th, which forced it to shut down its website. However, it also confirmed that the threat actor behind the attack was able to steal contributor credentials and put them up for sale online after hacking the content management system. Earlier this year, Fast Company was apparently hacked to display obscene messages due to a weak password. So not a great track record this year for this company. Australian police secret agents are exposed in a Colombian data leak. The identities
1: of secret agents working for the Australian Federal Police Force have been exposed after cybercriminals leaked documents stolen from the Colombian government. The leak comes from a hacktivist group, Well, maybe it's not fair to call them cybercriminals, but hackers, a hacktivist group called guacamaya and includes more than five terabytes of classified data including emails documents and methods afp agents were using to stop drug cartels from running their businesses in australia
0: shine shane uh, don't know how to say it owner fined about two million dollars for failing to notify 39 million users of a data breach this is from a data breach in 2018 but not one that we covered i don't even know surveillance support uh, was not around then uh, that was way before surveillance support oh, uh, but there so then, fast... yeah we didn't cover it <laughs> yeah like surveillance support came out like 2020 2021 i think Uh, Either way, so um, they're a fast fashion e-commerce platform. Their parent company, Zotop, has been fined $1.9 million for failing to properly handle the security incident. At the time, again, 39 million accounts included login credentials. So again, we share the data breaches with you to show you how prevalent this stuff is. And that is it for the week. With that, we'll move into companies. We're starting off with some news out of
1: Google. Google has simplified sign-ins with Chrome and Android Passkey support. Uh, Google announced today that it's introducing Passkey support to its Chrome web browsers and the Android operating system to simplify sign-ins across the web, uh, across apps, websites, and devices. Passkeys are securely backed up and synced to the cloud to prevent lockouts if the device they were generated on is lost, and they can be used for signing into websites on Android devices or for signing into websites on another device using an Android phone. Since they're built on industry standards, this works across different platforms and browsers, including Windows, Mac, iOS, and Chrome, uh, Chrome OS, with the same user experience. Developers can try this today by enrolling in the Google Play Services beta and using Chrome Canary. The new capabilities features will roll out into the stable channels later this year. So um, yeah, it's passkey support right now is kind of taking the form of like signing in with your phone, kind of like a push notification, I think. Overall, I think this is a win because it is an open standard and passwords are horrible and Really, anything we can do to improve uh, security and sign ins on that front. I do think we are going to see issues in the future with like phishing attempts and things like that. You know, we're already seeing things like MFA fatigue and stealing uh, cookies for authentication cookies and stuff like that. But it's, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And it's good to see Apple already supported this with, I think, the latest iOS. And now Google is rolling it out, so I think we're gonna see more widespread adoption.
0: This next one's really interesting, um, and I asked people to go into it with an open mind, as I have myself, because I was a little bit critical, but I actually think most of this is good, not all of it. Um, so the first thing, Google spent three years subjecting Titan M2 to testing by the third-party lab SGS BrightSight. Um, the chip now has an array of common criteria hardware security certifications, the same process that smart cards, SIM cards, and bank card chips go through. The Titan M2 passed the highest hardware vulnerability assessment, meaning that it is highly resistant to physical attacks, an area that has been increasingly important to chip makers in recent years. This is a quote, this testing emulates the sophistication of state-sponsored attacks, someone who's got almost unlimited resources and determination. Right there, I think this is nothing but good. I think that uh, more secure chips, Apple has this as well with their their security chip, but it's really cool to see security chips take a step forward, and I still don't think that these phones are probably good enough to uh, fight off a state-sponsored attack, but it's still really cool to see this head in the right direction. With Pixel 7 and Pixel 7 Pro, Google is also continuing to expand its efforts on what the company calls protected computing. The goal is to restrict how and when user data can be accessed, de-identify and anonymize data when it must be used, minimize the amount of identifying data that is generally produced about a user, and keeping as much processing out of the cloud and on users' devices as possible. Honestly, this is nothing but good. We already know Google's not a private company. That's not a newsflash here. I'm not trying to say they are, but if Google is actually committing to make things better, I think that should be celebrated as we celebrate every other company on here for doing better. Now where things get a little interesting, Google's already announced their VPN, Google One, but they're trying to integrate this into the phone on almost like a very deep level in the operating system, unlike a third party app. Um, A quote, VPN by Google One is open source and aims to address some classic concerns about VPNs by separating authentication and key management for encryption onto distinct servers that can't access each other. In essence, the service is set up to blind itself such that even a rogue insider would not be able to determine who you are and what your browsing history is by compromising the service. Google also says that it does not log user browsing data, though the company says it does record some anonymized aggregate metrics. In addition to publishing a breakdown of how the service works, Google also commissioned and published an independent audit from NCC Group on VPN by Google One's security. So, I don't think this is going to be the worst service in the world, but obviously we're going to have privacy concerns that it's from Google. Um, it's not that I don't trust Google's claims whatsoever here about they can't even see the traffic themselves. It's just Google does still say they record some anonymized aggregate metrics and we're. it's going to take me a while for me to unironically recommend a Google VPN. And I know Nate probably has thoughts here too, but... Um, I just think there's yeah. going to be some people who are already
1: like it, Google's got great security. I, I don't think anyone's denying that, but I've literally seen some people like, yeah, just use Chrome and turn off all the settings. And like, I, I don't think it's gonna take long before we see people say like, yeah, just use Google VPN because you know, it's not a third party app and you're not trusting like Molvad or someone it's,
0: yeah. You, and you know what? There, we're, there we're gonna see a, that. There's, there's a threat model for that. You know, like there is a threat model for that. I understand that argument and I think it's very valid. It's just not for everyone. So, like, that's my problem with it is, like, the overwhelming, you should use this instead of a v- of, a, of another third-party VPN that um, doesn't, has a goal of, like, not knowing anything about you whatsoever, um, even if it comes at the cost of some security. Like, that's a fine threat model for a lot of people, and so I think that's where I land on that. But, yes, I think there's actually some cool, this is all good stuff to me. Even the VPN, I think, is good stuff because I think this is better than, like, I'm comparing this to, like, Facebook's VPN, people. Like, come on, like, we need to keep everything relative here. Facebook's VPN was literally built and designed to collect everything about all its users. This isn't that. This is just, there's probably a more private option out there. I don't think this is actually designed to collect data on Google users. This seems like they actually went out of their way to not know the most important information. But maybe I'm being a Google shill right now. But that's how I read this story. You're such a Google show.
1: Speaking of Facebook, our next headline says, Meta's new headset will track your eyes for targeted ads. Um, I mean, that's really it. I did go through the article, but nothing really jumped out at me as like, oh, this is more information worth adding. It's now they have a, a line in the privacy policies that says that they will monitor your eye movements for, um, what's what's the word? Improving experience or something. It's, it's the PR speak for ads. So, yeah, they're going to start tracking your eyes, and somehow they're going to use that for advertising, which... You know if anybody can figure out how to use something to sell more ads it's meta
0: this one is good so how well not good how equifax used employment records it collects from two and a half million companies to fire dozens of its own employees for working second jobs oh it's the most american headline i've ever read so equifax investigated and fired 24 remote workers for secretly holding second jobs the company used the work number, one of its own products, to track the people's employment records. So <laughs> for those who don't know, Equifax is one of three credit bureaus in the US. Even if you don't like Equifax, they have your data. There's like almost nothing you can do to avoid being in Equifax's line of things. That's not where they got this data from supposedly, but I'm just putting that out there as a separate note for people who aren't based in the US. To Equifax's defense, their employee manual does ban second jobs without approval. But some of these jobs are not in the same field and therefore were not applicable under non-competes so it seems like they were being a little heavy-handed this is a a good quote from the ceo uh we expect our team to be fully dedicated to equifax and have one role their job at equifax (laughs) so i don't know uh for people who still work at equifax my heart goes out to you um and it's just it's it's just a crazy story to me. I can't believe that's even legal. But
1: All right, the next headline says, Companies in the UK are mining users' personal data to place billboard ads. Companies in the UK are collecting data from millions of phones to decide which advertisements to show on billboards in locations all around Britain, according to a new investigation by Big Brother Watch, which is a London-based civil liberties group known for confronting public surveillance issues. Um, the article, for the most part, the article is just kind of one of those how did we get here articles. So when you read it, they'll talk about like, other forms of facial recognition and AI that are already in use, which I actually didn't know about. Um, For example, they talk about how like some cameras will not necessarily recognize who you are, but they will recognize, for example, I'm a white male with tattoos and a wedding ring and, you know, like wearing a button down shirt. And they'll make guesses about like, okay, this is probably what he's into. And then they'll figure out my phone. Somehow they figure out what phone I've got on me. And they'll send ads to that phone, which is super creepy and messed up. So yeah, this is uh, for that alone. This is worth reading because it's really fascinating stuff. How they got here, and you know, not conspiracy theories. Like they talk about the company behind it. They've contacted the company and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, it is. It is getting. You know, I'm just gonna become a shut in. I'm just gonna become a shut in and like have everything delivered using fake names and VPNs. That's that's my new privacy strategy.
0: You're just describing my life. All right, we're gonna go into research, and um, first, this is an interesting story because we covered the iOS VPN leaks a while ago, and so this is kind of, it's not quite the same problem, but similar issue. Android leaks connectivity check traffic. This comes from Molvad. so Molvad did a research Mobile did some research on this and they published this for the world to see. There's an ongoing security audit of their app that identified that Android leaks certain traffic, which VPN services cannot prevent. We researched the reported leak and concluded that Android sends connectivity checks outside of the VPN tunnel. It does this every time the device connects to a Wi-Fi network, even when the block connections without VPN setting is enabled. For those on Android, Android kind of has almost like a kill switch type of thing. It's not actually a kill switch, but Pretty much it blocks any kind of connections without a vpn it's a whole feature you can enable and we normally recommend enabling that but it's again it's worth outlining that even with that enabled this still happened so here's a quote even if you are fine with some traffic going outside the vpn tunnel we think the name of the setting block connections without vpn and android's documentation around it is misleading the impression a user gets is that no traffic will leave the phone except through the vpn which is exactly how it's worded Due to this, they have reported another issue, which is they are suggesting improving the Android documentation regarding this problem. Um, just so people know, this isn't—I I personally don't see this as inherently a, a huge privacy and security risk. Uh, this is not. This is just kind of something that has to happen in order for the internet to work um, on mobile devices. Um, there is one ROM. If you want to read the article, that I'm not going to say their name, but if you use that ROM, you are already fine. And for all other ROMs and any other phone that supports ADB commands, you can actually run an ADB command, uh, which I'll also leave in a description, uh, so that you can pretty much turn off that check and that will not happen on your phone. And so you will more or less have, you should have all connections on your phone go through your VPN. This Again, this is different from the iOS situation where Apple seems to be purposefully giving themselves a pass on their applications to not go through a VPN tunnel. This is more like, okay, in order for the operating system to work properly, there's this one check we need to do, and it doesn't make sense to do that through a VPN tunnel. But either way, I agree with Mulvad's stance on this, which is like they need to improve the documentation and not have a misleading feature. Speaking of the iOS uh, VPN thing, we have an update on that. The headline says, iOS 16 VPN tunnels leak data
1: even when lockdown mode is enabled. Quick quote from the article, iOS 16 communicates with select Apple services outside an active VPN tunnel and leaks DNS requests. So uh, we we already knew that Apple was doing this, like Henry said. The only real update here is that we now know that lockdown mode is equally affected, which is kind of messed up because Apple explicitly said that lockdown mode is supposed to be for high threat model people like journalists and and political activists and stuff like that. If anyone was wondering lockdown mode, we still think you should enable it when you can because it helps make those people less fingerprintable.
0: But unfortunately, it is victim to the same flaws that Apple does not seem to care about. Thermal cameras and AI can be used to crack passwords. Study warns. Heat from people's fingertips can be detected in recently used keyboards, and when thermal images were combined with the help of artificial intelligence, informed guesses of what the password could be could be, were made by a tool developed by researchers at the University of Glasgow. Um, some 86% of passwords were cracked when thermal images were taken within 20 seconds of typing in the secret code and put through their thermosecure system, and 76% when within 30 seconds. Success, success dropped to 62% after 60 seconds of entry. They also found that within 20 seconds, the system was capable of successfully attacking even long passwords of 16 characters with a rate of up to 67% correct attempts. As passwords grew shorter, success rates increased. 12 Symbol passwords were guessed up to 82% of the time, 8 Symbol passwords up to 93% of the time, and 6 Symbol passwords were successful 100% of attempts. They said to use longer passwords whenever possible, but they those were more difficult to guess accurately. And backlit keyboards also produce more heat, making accurate thermal readings more challenging, so a backlit keyboard with PBT plastics could be inherently more secure, he said. Finally, users can help make their devices and keyboards more secure by adopting alternative authentication methods like fingerprint or facial recognition, which mitigate many of the risks of thermal attacks. Wanna outline here, this is not a realistic attack you should expect to see in your life. Um, The amount of setup and ability to pull us off, someone can just look over your shoulder and watch you type your password. Um, This is all just hypothetical stuff to throw your way. And obviously they're going to give uh, security advice from the context of the attack which is fingerprint and facial recognition, but then also fingerprint facial recognition is less secure in other ways. So that's just the context of this research. They're giving advice based on the context of the research before people get angry at the researchers for doing their job. All right, our next research article, is
1: says, can AI's recommendations be less insidious? And I think they mean that in a genuine way, not a sarcastic way. Um, I, I actually copied like half of the article in notes here, but I'm going to try to sum this up. So basically, um, this is really complex. Feel free to go ahead and read the article if you want to know more about their their methodology and stuff. But basically, they have found that uh, they're calling them recommender systems, which is, you know, where um, it's it's just what it is. YouTube recommends more cat videos and stuff like that. Well, they found that it's possible. I don't know if they, they found that it's happening, but they found it's definitely possible that A- AI recommender systems are kind of playing the long game. And so... Rather than, and I, I know we see this, we've all seen this, but like, for example, you go on YouTube, you watch cat videos and all of a sudden it's more likely watching cat video, or it's more likely suggesting you more cat videos and stuff like that. The the system can basically learn how to play the long game and recommend things that you may not click on right away, but maybe down the road you will. Yeah, they, they, um, they're they calling this reinforcement learning and um, they're saying it's what they used for like a deep mind was able to beat humans with the board games go and chess. And it's, yeah, it's basically just like taking machine learning and pattern recognition and recommendations to the next level. So they basically, uh, perform this experiment to see like how effective is this? Is it actually feasible? And, um, I believe they basically did find like, yeah, it's, it's very likely possible. It might even be happening right now. The only way to really get around it is just to kind of like the people who are building the AI have to consciously choose not to do that, to tell the AI, like, don't think 10 steps down the road, you have to like live in the moment and recommend what people want to see now. It's debatable how much you think companies are actually going to do that. So yeah, um, really scary stuff. This is why I block ads entirely. And this is also why we're big fans of privacy, because if the AI can't track you, then it can't manipulate you in the long run. But like I said, I copied like half of the article for show notes. And now that I'm looking at it, I think it would be better if you guys just go read it yourselves. It's it's not crazy complicated. It's, it's easy to understand. It's just a lot to read, but it's worth the read. With that, we'll move into the politics section, and we're gonna start off with a story that says, police are using DNA to generate 3D images of suspects they've never seen. Quoting the article, on Tuesday, the Edmonton Police Service (EPS) shared a computer-generated image of a suspect they created with DNA phenotyping which it used for the first time in the hopes of identifying a suspect from a 2019 sexual assault case. Using DNA evidence from the case, a company called Paraben Nano Labs created the image of a young black man. The composite image did not factor the suspect's age, body mass index, or environmental factors, such as facial hair, tattoos, and scars. The EPS then released this image to the public, both on its website and on social media platforms, including Twitter, claiming to be, quote, a last resort after all investigative avenues have been exhausted, unquote. In response to the EPS's tweet of the image, many privacy and criminal justice experts replied with indignation at the irresponsibility of the police department. Callie Schroeder, the Global Privacy Counsel at the Electro- Electronic Privacy Information Center, retweeted the tweet questioning the usefulness of the image. Quote, even if it is a new piece of information, what are you going to do with this? Question approximately ev- uh, question every approximately five 5'4 black male you see? This is not a suggestion. Absolutely do not do that. Uh, seeing the composite image with no context or knowledge of DNA phenotyping can mislead people into believing the suspect looks exactly like the DNA profile. Basically, this was a terrible idea all around. Like the article mentions, that even Paraben Nanolabs is like, yeah, don't don't use these for actual suspect photos. Like they're designed to give you um, some possibilities of what a suspect might look like. It's really just guesswork, to be totally honest. Like if you, if all you found was the DNA, then it could tell you a little bit. It's it's like 23andMe for police, like it could tell you genetically where the person is from, but there's absolutely no context at all regarding like, like they said, like facial hair. The article actually goes on to show from Paraben Labs, several photos of like, here's what the AI generated and here's what the person actually looked like. And they're completely different. Like there's one where he's like a young white male. He's like clean shaven. Um, I think he's got like short hair or something. And then the actual suspect
0: is like this old dude with like a beard. First court in California suppresses evidence from overboard geofence warrant. So a California trial court has held a geofence warrant issued to the San Francisco Police Department violated the Fourth Amendment and California's landmark electronic communications privacy law. The court suppressed evidence stemming from the warrant become becoming the first court in California to do so. The case is People vs. Dawes and involved a 2018 burglary in a residential neighborhood. Private surveillance cameras recorded the burglary, but the suspects were difficult to identify from the footage. Police didn't have a suspect, so they turned to a geofence warrant. And then on the topic of police again, an ex-Louisville, sorry, how do, how do you guys say it? Lowville.
1: Uh, an ex loville police officer used law enforcement tech to help hack sexually explicit photos from women. A former Loville Metro Police Department officer used law enforcement technology as part of a scheme that involved hacking the Snapchat c- accounts of young women and using sexually explicit photos and videos they had taken to extort them. Brian Wilson, because I'm always down to call out people who are behaving poorly, used his law enforcement access to acc- accruent, accruent, accruent? I don't know a powerful data-combining software used by police departments to assist in investigations to obtain information about potential victims. He would then share that information with a hacker who would hack into private Snapchat accounts to obtain sexually explicit photos and videos. If sexually explicit material was obtained, Wilson would then contact the women threatening to post the photos and videos online and share them with friends, family, employer, and coworkers unless more sexually explicit material was provided to him. My big takeaway from this story was that rogue employees can happen anywhere. Like, even if you... Assume, even if you're one of those people who thinks that like most cops are good and there's just a few bad apples, like there's the few bad apples, man. And they can do really, really a lot of damage. And this was a cross-platform thing. This was the police department. This was a current, uh, this was Snapchat. So like really that's why end-to-end encryption is so important. It's best not to give people that opportunity in the first place. On my website, I mentioned how the threat model that I cater to is just kind of the average everyday like you know, data, general data collection, automated stuff. I don't focus on any targeted stuff or targeted hacking. And the example I give is, you know, like locking your doors and windows. Like there's nothing to stop a criminal from breaking your window or breaking your door down. But most criminals, if the door's locked, the window's locked and they can't see an easy, quick way in, they'll just move on to another house. And that's kind
0: of what it's really about. Like just make it, make yourself a harder target. So they go elsewhere. Subjecting workers to webcam monitoring violates privacy a dutch court has ruled so a florida headquartered company has been ordered to pay about 75,000 euros in compensation and other fees after firing a netherlands-based remote worker who refused to keep their webcam on all day In a decision published last week, the court ruled that there was not sufficient reasons to dismiss the employee, there has been no evidence of a refusal to work, it added that instruction to leave the camera on is contrary to the employee's right to respect for his private life, and that the dismissal was not legally valid. Specifically, the court cites Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which grants citizens the right to respect for privacy and family life. As TechCrunch notes, firing an employee for not turning their webcam on may be more palatable in an at-will jurisdiction like Florida, but it seems employees under the jurisdiction of the ECHR, which is the European Convention on Human Rights, have a lot more protections, which is a blow to people who argue laws are pointless, because they are not pointless. And I wish we had laws like these in the U.S., personally. Okay, this next story is just kind of a little creepy. Let me go ahead and quote the article. It says, this Danish political party is led by an
1: AI. The Synthetic Party, a new Danish political party with an artificially intelligent representative and politics derived from AI, is eyeing a seat in parliament as it hopes to run in the country's November general election. The party was founded by, in May by the artist collective Computer Lars and the nonprofit art and tech organization Mind Future Foundation. The synthetic party's public face and figurehead is the AI chatbot Leader Lars, which is programmed on the policies of Danish fringe parties since 1970 and is meant to represent the values of the 20% of Danes who do not vote in the election. Leader Lars is an AI chatbot that people can speak with on Discord. You can address Leader Lars by beginning your sentences with with an exclamation point. The AI understands English but writes back to you in Danish. As people from Denmark and also people around the globe are interacting with AI, they submit new... Uh, perspectives and new textual information where we collect data in a data set that will go into the fine tuning. So that way you are partly developing the AI every time you interact with it. Some of the policies that the synthetic party is proposing include establishing a universal universal basic income of 100,000 Danish kroner per month, which is equivalent to about $13,700 and is over double the Danish average salary. Uh, another proposed policy change is to create a jointly owned internet and IT sector in the government that is on par with other public institutions. So here's this last paragraph here. AI has not been addressed properly within a democratic setting before. When it does get talked about, it's in the context of regulations. Uh, this, sorry, this comes from uh, Stånes, who is uh, one of the artists behind this. Uh, When it does get talked about, it's in the context of regulations. Bistanis doesn't believe that governments can possibly regulate the technology's development. So we try to change the theme to show that through artistic means and through humans curating them, artificial intelligence can actually be addressed within democracy and be held accountable for what it does and how it proceeds. So I, I think this is more of an art project. I don't think they're actually intending to win any seats. I think they're trying to bring awareness And honestly, that last paragraph, like, I I think, and and I I don't think this is a particularly hot take, I think you guys would agree with me that these are very important questions that need to be addressed about the role of AI in humanity and who does it answer to and who is it responsible for and how do we hold it accountable and things like that. So, um, like I said, I think this is more of an art
0: experiment, but it's it's definitely a really interesting thought experiment. Indian government has been sued over the VPN logging orders. This is an update to something that's been unfolding, which is the Indian government has been trying to force VPN providers to keep logs. This lawsuit argues that the order from India's computer emergency response team not only defeats the point of VPNs altogether, but also contradicts legal precedents protecting online privacy and violates the country's constitutionally protected business rights. This case goes to court December 9th, so stay subscribed! Staying in India, the court has dismissed pleas challenging
1: a CCI probe into WhatsApp's privacy policy. Uh, Title says most everything. The Competition Commission of India, which is the CCI, is investigating WhatsApp's privacy policy. Um, Apparently that whole investigation is still going on and Meta tried to get the case thrown out, and they failed. Uh, They were not able to get the case thrown out, so the investigation is going forward. Um, Not a whole lot of story there,
0: but um, just a little update to let you guys know. And our final political story, SIM card registration law signed amid privacy concerns, and this is from the Philippines. Quoting the article, we will soon be able to provide law enforcement agencies the tools needed to resolve crimes, Perpetrated with the use of these SIM cards, as well as providing a strong deterrence against the commission of wrongdoing. A lot of assumptions there. I'm not going to dive too far into that one. I'm sure many people listening already have similar thoughts regarding that quote. Local telecom companies, however, have called for the ramping up of the national ID system rollout and more time to prepare for the law's implementation, which makes sense since a lot of these companies are running on very old technology. And here's a quote from Globe Telecom Incorporated. Our position has been clear from the beginning. A national ID system must be in place to ensure the safe and successful implementation of this new law. So if you're in the Philippines, this is very unfortunate news. Hopefully we'll see some kind of way to acquire phone numbers, maybe a VOIP services. That doesn't require KYC, know your customer laws, but it's unclear yet what that's going to look like. So Uh, it's unfortunate because this doesn't have to be the only way they deal with spam and law enforcement issues. So, without going too far into it, very unfortunate. And now we're gonna move into the FOSS section. Okay. Proton, yes, Proton. Uh, I'm now wearing the shirt because I had to do a wardrobe. So, we actually split off the recording for those who didn't notice, so... Uh, we had to leave early because we had some scheduling differences and so we had to cut off after research and so Nate recorded his sections I recorded my sections and all we did was the first few sections and then we did the Q&A together and the outro together So that's why you I look a little different now, but Proton finally works with Yubikeys and hardware tokens UTF I set this up Nate said he was going to set it up And it worked fine. You can add multiple hardware keys, which is the most important thing I look for because some services only allow you to add one, which I am not a fan of because you should always have two. One is a backup. Um, This is not supported on mobile apps. So that is kind of an unfortunate downside to all of this. And also you have to keep... Here's my gripe. So first, this is great. I'm surprised it took them this long to get it because it is this is super important nowadays for security. But also uh, I my main gripe with this is you still have to keep TOTP enabled. So even with YubiKey support and all of that, you still have to have TOTP enabled on the account, which for me does break some of the purpose of having UTF. For context, the main security perk of using something like a hardware token is phishing protection for most people um, because TOTP, when you type in those codes can still be fished. With the hardware tokens, it's much more difficult to be fished. So as long as you're only logging into your Proton account as much as possible with your hardware tokens, you're still getting a lot of that gain. So just avoid using TOTP, even though you have to still have it enabled. That's my gripe. And kind of a side tangent, but can Proton just like roll out a 100% functioning feature for once and not have something in beta for like three years and like half baked, like side tangents people, but. It's getting frustrating. On the topic of Proton, their VPN has rolled
1: out a new Stealth function. So they are calling this Stealth, Uh, quoting the article, Stealth uses obfuscation to hide your VPN connection from sensors. The general idea is to make VPN traffic look like quote unquote normal traffic or common HTTPS traffic. Stealth does this by obfuscating TLS tunneling over TCP. This is different from most popular VPN protocols that typically use UDP, making them easier to detect and block. Without going into too much detail, Stealth also establishes VPN connections into a in a specific and unique way that avoids alerting internet filters. They're, they're saying it should still be just as fast as any other protocol. Um, you probably don't need it unless you're in an area where you, you know your internet is being censored, like Iran, for example, or China. And if I remember, I forgot to put it in the notes, but if I remember correctly, it is available on mac windows android and ios but not linux yet but i think they said they're working on linux so hopefully that'll come out
0: soon all right the last two Foss articles are very exciting so the first one protect your privacy and your phone number with firefox relay okay i've always been kind of critical of firefox relay because frankly it's not that useful compared to tools like anon addy and simple login But, this phone number thing is pretty nifty. For about $48 a year, you can reply to texts, but not initiate them with this Firefox Relay phone number aliasing service. The wording on this article seems to suggest you can have multiple numbers, but the FAQ says only one, so it's a bit unclear how this works. Both Nate and I have not tested this out yet, but we both need to. But, the feature looks pretty cool and it could make it a lot easier to have phone number aliasing set up. All for a pretty affordable price, too, so I'm excited to try this out, and I'm sure you'll hear from both of us how it is coming soon. soon. And the final open-source story, VirtualBox. For those who don't know, VirtualBox is emulation software, so uh, if you are running a Windows computer and you want to try Linux, you can just download VirtualBox, download a Linux ISO, load it into VirtualBox, and just quickly boot up Linux. VirtualBox 7.0 adds their first ARM Mac client, which is a huge deal, by the way. Uh, for those who don't know, Apple has moved over to completely ARM-based chips, and so running VirtualBox previously was pretty rough uh, because everything was emu- VirtualBox was emulating. VirtualBox itself was emulated, and VirtualBox is an emulator for other operating systems. So, as you can tell, this is kind of isn't great. VirtualBox also has added full encryption as well as Windows 11 TPM. So for TPM, this is big news because this now supports secure boot for TPM 1.2 and 2.0 for those who's in, for those trying to set up a Windows 11 virtual machine, which previously required some crazy registry hacks to make happen. And also regarding the encryption, VirtualBox has always supported the encryption of the virtual machine itself, but now you can encrypt everything related to the VM, including the logs, save states, and other files tied to the virtual machine, which is really awesome. Regarding the ARM Mac client, this is only for the developer preview, so this is not in public yet, but it should be soon. With that, we will move into Misfits,
1: and we're going to start off with one that um, is interesting. I, I don't really know if I have thoughts on this one. I think it's just really interesting and kind of something people should be aware of. The headline says Hurricane Ian destroyed their homes. Algorithms sent them money. Quoting the article, nearly 3,500 residents of Collier, Charlotte, and Lee counties received a push notification on their smartphones offering $700 cash assistance, no questions asked. A Google algorithm deployed in partnership with nonprofit GiveDirectly had estimated from satellite images that those people lived in badly damaged neighborhoods and needed some help. This is the first time GiveDirectly has used this technology in the US, but it previously tested a similar idea in Togo in the months after the pandemic crippled the world's economy. There, households were offered aid based on signs of poverty detected by image algorithms from researchers at UC Berkeley and clues from cell phone bills. The AI targeted one of the area's food stamp payment apps. Some of these users, or all of these users who were offered this money, they downloaded, I think it's called Provider. It's like the county's food stamp app that allows you to see how much money you've got and stuff like that. So yeah, um, I don't. I don't know. I think this is an interesting thought. I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, the article acknowledges that there are questions about like the execution. Like for example, there's a lot of people that could probably use some financial assistance right now that may not necessarily be on food stamps. There's also just a lot of questions about the data. What, what is what is this app? It, so, it sounds like this app is from the city or the state. So why are they sharing data? Although, you know, longtime listeners know that's kind of par for the course, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. It's just it's a really complicated thing, but it's interesting, and I just thought it was something you guys should be aware of.
0: Users, yes, you, me, everyone apparently, are building their own AI-powered alternatives to Amazon's Ring cameras. Quote: Tired of annoying walled gardens and widespread privacy abuses, a growing number of consumers are building their own alternatives to Amazon's home surveillance system, Ring. In many instances, the home world solution have most or all of the benefits of Ring but without being owned and controlled by one of the largest and creepiest megacorps on the planet. While it requires a little extra work, third-party cameras, a NAS, network attached storage devices, or dedicated NVRs, which are network video recorders, can be combined to build big tech home surveillance alternatives that can scale depending on the budget. The article goes on to suggest a variety of solutions and how many of them even work better than Ring. By searching self-hosted Ring camera on YouTube, we found two results that may be promising. We haven't watched them, but there's content out there for that. So if anyone knows how to do this, you just start putting up tutorials and making it accessible because we need this to be easier for people. And also if anyone can build their own toolkit, like some kind of like simple DIY, 50 bucks, and you can set this all up by yourself at home, kind of kit, that would be awesome. So this is all good news. Honestly, for people listening to this, Ring, Google Nest, like all these different things, they're not that complex. There's nothing really that complex about them. It's just, they've been able to package them very nicely and put the, some nice software behind it and make it easy to use. So it's not hard to emulate that. There's not that much complex technology happening behind the scenes, and it's cool to see people uh, take initiative on this. Okay, our next story is a little longer. It says your boss
1: can monitor your activities without special software. And I think um, I think a lot of our, our longtime listeners know this already. So basically, with the rise of surveillance, software at work, you know, the productivity software to make sure that you're working all the time and always typing and always doing things because God forbid you should be reading an email or taking a bathroom break. There, This article is basically just pointing out, like even if your boss is not using one of those productivity softwares, a lot of common workplace apps still give them a lot of insight that they can use to piece together. So I'm gonna quote the article. Commonly used network connected apps such as Zoom, Slack, and Microsoft Office give managers the ability to find everything from the number of video meetings in which you've actively participated to how much you chatted online with coworkers and the number of documents you saved to the cloud. The issue gets messier if managers use data from apps meant to aid employees with stress, time management, and well-being to determine an individual's future at their workplace. On Microsoft 365, an administrator, uh, an account administrator can pull data, though it may not be easy and would be tracked in compliance logs, on how many emails workers sent, how many files they saved on a shared drive, how many messages they sent, as well as video meetings they participated in on the messaging and video tool, Microsoft Teams. Uh, Google Workplace, Google's suite of work tools, allows administrators, for security and audit purposes, to see how many emails users sent and received, how many files they saved and accessed on Google Drive, and when a user started a meeting, from where they joined meetings, who was in a meeting, et cetera. Select administrators on both services can access the content of emails and calendar items. On paid Slack accounts, managers can see how many days users have been active and how many messages they've sent over a set period of time. Zoom allows account administrators to see how many meetings users have participated in, the length of the meetings, and whether users enabled their camera and microphone during them. And if employees have a company-issued smartphone or use office badges tech that requires them to sign in at the office, managers can track phone usage and office attendance. Getting a snapshot of a worker's digital day becomes even easier if workers are using the same suite of products for all activities, but even without it, employers can use third-party tools to compile data from various digital services. Less obvious ways employers might monitor workers without surveillance software is by checking local Wi-Fi network logs and security cameras, unquote. Yeah, again, this is just a reminder that metadata tells a lot, and you need to be aware of that kind of stuff. I don't think we're encouraging you to, like, slack off on your work hours or take advantage of your boss's trust or anything like that, but... Just to be aware, like even if they're not downloading any special software, they still have ways of tracking you and always be aware of that. It's just it's a form of metadata, really. That's my takeaway from this is this is just kind of like metadata, even without the content, even without special tools, a lot is given away there.
0: Last two stories of the week. The first one, how to protect yourself. This is for the students out there. How to protect yourself if your school uses surveillance technology. Thousands of school districts use monitoring software that can track students online, scan their emails, and in some cases send alerts of perceived threats to law enforcement. A recent investigation by the Dallas Morning News revealed that colleges have been using an AI social media monitoring tool to surveil student protesters. While technology companies claim to be able to prevent violence, there's little proof that surveillance can actually protect students. Meanwhile, monitoring software has been used to reveal students' sexuality without their consent. Low income, black, and Hispanic students are also disproportionately exposed to surveillance and discipline. The article then goes on to describe some defenses, like specific questions to ask the school, like how is student data secured, or where can students and parents report violation of privacy, or how much of the budget is used for this tech the answers might surprise you. Based on both of our experiences, this will be a royal pain in the ass to get answers to, but it can be worth it. In short, if you're a student, just kind of assume you're being watched even after school, at least anything that can be directly or indirectly tied to you via a school account, and get involved with other parents and students to pressure the schools and districts into change. I have no issue getting on a personal soapbox here that we proceed to invest in surveillance technology while not paying teachers enough or having enough resources or budgeting for students. So. I love it here, I love it. In the final story of the week before our Q&A section, upcoming Call of Duty has annoying phone number verification requirements. And this is a continuation of that other recent game, was it Overwatch? I don't even know games anymore people, but there was a recent game going through the phone number issue, which had a partial win because you ended up still needing to use a phone number for new registrations. But Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 will now require players to register with phone numbers on battle.net to play the game in order to make players responsible for their actions. The game is set for release later this month on October 28th. It's a repeat Oh, here it's already in the notes. I was right. It's Overwatch 2. Um, it's a repeat of that practice and the phone ver- the phone verification system which Activision Blizzard calls SMS Protect is meant to cut down on toxic behavior from players preventing them from creating endless new accounts to evade bans or to cheat. They say, limiting the number of free accounts that a single person can create helps keep players accountable for their actions and in turn reduces toxicity and cheating and ensures a positive community experience for all players. Mobile phones with prepaid plans may not work with the phone verification system. That's a direct quote from the article. So they are trying to uh, crack down on other alternatives that many of us might go to um, to bypass having to use your real phone number. So this is not great news. I hope that, you know, this is the gaming industry moving in that direction. I just hope that we don't see more things moving to the phone number requirements because uh, in an ideal world, less things dependent on the phone number is the ideal. First Q&A section is from Anon Patron. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. Ain't on Patreon. And uh, they they say, I know there is a lot of FUD and fear mongering. Man, I can't say words today. In the security privacy space, and it's best not to get all information from a single source. Love that. Same goes for us. We shouldn't be your only source. So my question for you guys is, who are some other good YouTubers that you recommend for learning more about privacy and security? But just as importantly, are there any names you would throw out to avoid? Because in your opinion, they spread more fear and paranoia than actual good advice. I'll go ahead and take most of the heat on this one. (laughs) Um, I'm not gonna name names of people to avoid, um, just to avoid issues. Um, But people that I recommend on the tech lore side of things, if you go to our channel, I'm gonna type it in, YouTube got handles now. It's not actually anything different. Um, but if you go to youtube.com slash techler and you click the channels tab, you're going to see who we're subscribed to. And those are generally the people that I'm big fans of that I think are overall spreading like information. Like we don't agree with everything they put out. I don't even agree with everything that Nate puts out. Um, I find most I of what puts out terrible actually. Uh, I'm just I see kidding. how it is. <laughs> But and like so this I know Nate the last doesn't. Dual surveillance report. I'm kidding. <laughs> I know Nate doesn't agree with everything we do. I know Nate's probably still mad that we shut down our matrix community. <laughs> I am actually. Good call. <laughs> so like we like we don't all agree back here. But behind the scenes, there are people who like very much are willing to like set most stuff aside to still like bring things together. Not everyone has done that, and that's fine. Like it's totally cool. So yeah, that's where I would push people to. Also, our website resources, techlord.tech slash resources, has external resources on the bottom too of other people that you can look into.
1: Um, my answer is kind of the same as yours. I don't really want to name names just because I don't want to start any drama. I would say, um, I will say to look out for people who say like, trust me, like only listen to me, don't listen to other people. Um, I will say, personally, I recently joined, well, no, it's been a couple months now, but I joined a couple of, specific matrix communities because i wanted to see firsthand um you know they're always accusing the other people of being the worst and i wanted to see firsthand um i think that's a great way to go to be totally honest like go go watch somebody vet their advice like don't and that's the thing like that you're when we vet these people we're not doing anything different than you guys are we're going and we're watching their videos and we're saying like okay does that make sense does that contradict? Any known research. Let me fact check this. Let me see what they're saying. Let me look for any red flags. I also, I'm really bad about updating my YouTube things, but I also on YouTube, I have a list of other channels that I follow that is publicly visible. Um, On my website, I have uh, a list of resources. The newoilorg slash links has like a list of um, books, documentaries, YouTubers, stuff like that. I do have a few that I'm still currently uh, vetting that I don't think I've added yet. Um, The Linux experiment is a good one that I don't know if I've
0: added yet. Um, I like him. Yeah. I like, he's I like he's him great. He's so funny. I like him. Yeah. Great personality. Like from like, he's one of the people I subscribe to on the Techler side of things. If you look at our channel's page and like from a YouTuber's perspective, like he's nailed like the personality of it. Like he yeah. just seems like himself. And that's something I really struggle with. So it's so cool to see that. Yeah. He's great. Okay. Our second question comes from a Fox in the Woods, um, who is asking about a service
1: called BlackRock, specifically their program called Aladdin. Um, I'm not going to lie. I suck. Um, We've actually been working late all week at my day job, so I'm super behind on all my work. Um, I didn't really get a chance to look into this too in-depth. I did try to do a little bit of research right before we recorded. BlackRock is apparently, like, one of the largest, um, what what would you call them, like, financial management services in the world. Uh, This Aladdin program, and for the record... I apologize if I found a completely different BlackRock. This is why I asked you for, like, more information and links and stuff like that. Um, Their their Aladdin program handled something like 7% of all the world's, like, management funds last year. No, in 2013. So, and it was, that was to the tune of, like, a couple trillion dollars. So, um, yeah, there's definitely got to be some kind of data collection involved in there. But a lot of the stuff I looked up was either, like, PR from them or was, like, you know, uh, like investor stuff about them for like the investor types who want to know more about the company. So, um, yeah, I wasn't able to really find a whole lot about them, but I will say something that big is probably definitely, if not directly collecting data is probably built on the back of collecting data. So I'm going to try to do more research into this one. Um, I don't really have an opinion yet, but it's, and our last question comes from Impy, who says, in regards to browser uniqueness, I'm aware adding extensions to your browsers can make it easier to fingerprint you. There are two questions, by the way. Uh, first one, I'm aware that adding ex- extensions to your browser makes it easier to fingerprint you. I was wondering if this is also true for browsers having bookmarks. Um, somebody brought this up to me quite a while ago, actually, and I remember looking into it. As far as I could tell, that is not the case. No, it's, it's not a thing. Even...
0: Um... Okay, that's what I thought. Even even the tour browser, I believe, has like documentation regarding
1: about how it's like safe to add bookmarks. Yeah, how like okay. bookmarks
0: start. There's no way for websites to be able to access your bookmarks that I'm aware of. So. Okay.
1: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was just gonna say like my
0: my research was not super scientific. So, cool. Yeah. No, that's not a thing as far as we know. Okay. The second part of the question, my wife is starting a job where they need a phone for business. We have an old Pixel Three A, which no longer. Get security updates. Do you have recommendations for getting this back to a secure place? They were considering installing a custom ROM, but also appears to have moved... Um, that ROM ap- appears to have moved the 3A to legacy. Do we just need to bite the bullet and get a more modern phone? We wanted to keep using it since it still works perfectly, and it would just be e-waste otherwise. First, I'm just going to rant that I, I absolutely despise how the three year thing was ever a thing. I think it really depends on what you're doing because uh, I think people's first reaction is, oh my God, there's there's no more security updates. I gotta like drop it. And I do agree with that sentiment. If it's like your daily driver phone, once something stops getting security updates, I think it's time to let it go. Um, With that said, there are some things that a phone that doesn't have updates anymore can still do things that don't require um, the most up-to-date security. It could even be an offline device. It could be a security camera. There's a lot of use cases for this. Um, it depends what you're going to do on it with your business. If you're just going to use it for communication, maybe some texts and calls, I don't see an issue with that necessarily. It's all about threat modeling and just understanding that like you're putting yourself at a higher risk for security incidents. So I wouldn't do any banking on this phone. I wouldn't do anything sensitive. I wouldn't log into secure accounts on this phone. Um, so there is still a use case for it, but yes, I would be very wary of anything. One thing to throw your way, um, the Pixel 3a will no longer receive firmware updates. There's two types of Android updates. There's firmware updates and there's software updates. I'm, I'm simplifying this a lot. The firmware updates you won't get no matter what custom ROM or whatever you do. But you can still receive some software updates if you are using certain ROMs that are still pushing out updates to the 3a. So that's something to throw your way. If you're using a custom ROM, you're at least kind of receiving almost half of the security updates, but you're not gonna get any of the firmware updates. Thank you for all the questions. If you wanna ask your question, again, these all come from our Patreon. So we really want more patrons over there. Definitely go ahead and join. We love that for, for everyone because it allows us to make better content in the longer and I still keep doing this every week. So thank you to our patrons. And that is it for the week. Again, Signal is removing SMS support, Android VPN leaks, Proton is adding UTF hardware keys, and Firefox Relay is kind of becoming useful. So it has been a huge week, so thank you all for listening. And also, just to remind you again, Patreon and Monero are the two best ways to support us. They're the only ways to support us, actually. So if you join our Patreon, you get some perks. If you want to just support us privately with nothing in return, Monero is the way to go. We see all those. We thank those contributions, as well as our Patreon, our patrons. Thank you for listening to the Surveillance Support. The final thing we want to ask for you to do is to share the podcast around. Make sure you subscribe and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible and you can directly help us do that. Thanks again for listening. Ooh, I hit my mic. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.